0: As you may have heard from David, after many years, both Christine and I uh, were in the Faith Mission College in Edinburgh, Uh, fortunately not simultaneously, or we might have been mutually distracted by each other. Uh, Christine went through the college uh, and just got out of the college, and I came in from Central Africa, where I had been most of my previous life, and... uh, then we met up in the work of the faith mission actually in Northern Ireland uh, in about 1967, sometime after we'd been through the college. But we both have many happy uh, memories uh, separately of times here in Charlotte Chapel with uh, Dr. Alan Redpath and others. Therefore it is a very special uh, privilege and joy for us to be here Uh, Again, invited uh, by David and others to share in what is surely a very important weekend. Uh, You will have been reminded of the Are You Connected leaflet here. And uh, we were present for that and found it enormously interesting, very challenging. And it was lovely to see the place almost full last night with uh, George Verwer, giving a typically rousing and uh, interesting message. Uh, It was great. And many people responded last night to the call of God. They are connected uh, today and will be, I believe, in a new way for the future as the Lord leads them. Are you connected? And you will have noticed that the message for this morning, are you listening? We'll be looking again, so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, to Revelation and uh, the third chapter. <coughs> we often read from the letters of Paul, for example. Uh, we've had several referred to us, the scroll this morning, that was lovely, Kirsty. Uh, the scroll, part of Paul's letter that he wrote to the Philippians Uh, that the work the Lord has begun, He will definitely continue, there's a promise, isn't it? Um, The letters of Jesus to the churches, not so often referred to, perhaps. And in recent times, uh, I've been challenged by that myself, and I've been studying them a little, and of course have been tremendously blessed and challenged. I want to bring uh, before you uh, this morning a few uh, words which I believe are from the Lord for this church, today. You will be aware that in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus is is dictating to his uh, wonderful servant John, now in his nineties, or thereabouts, um, the seven letters to seven churches in that area of around Ephesus. Seven churches, seven letters, seven messages. It's not a circular letter done by computer and just the name changed and perhaps a a little uh, end bit to just show that it's it's sort of of personalised. No, they are very different. Every letter is very personal. Yet, you would notice if we had time to read them through consecutively, you would see that there are some very real parallels. There are some things that are reiterated on each occasion. A number of things. Here are just a suggestion of three to sum it up. On every occasion, in every letter, Jesus has this short, sharp phrase, I know. I know. And in most cases, it's very comforting for the church concerned. Jesus says, I know. And then he goes on to say, in effect, I care. The knowledge Jesus has of these churches and therefore of every church in that day and time and every church today, this church, A, he says, I know. Secondly, he says, I care and I think this is very comforting are you comforted by that today? I believe Jesus says it not only to churches which a church should be a family, a unit of God's people, a fellowship of believers in other words it's both plural and singular I believe he also says it to individuals he's saying to you today, I know some of you are going through a difficult time Perhaps a lonely time. Possibly a sad time. Jesus is saying to you today, I know. <coughs> so maybe perhaps going through difficult times. Maybe there are students here with difficult studies happening. Or perhaps uh, there are various problems in your life and family perhaps that you think nobody knows about. He says today, I know and he says, I care and I think we need to take encouragement from this thirdly, we could summarize by saying I know, I care, I promise it's Jesus who makes the promises if we were to look at all seven letters (coughs) I'm into a way of uh, color coding my Bibles and uh, over many years now, color coding And uh, there's a special colour and code, a sign, which refers to promise. Promises of God. There's another colour sign which says, promises of God that are conditional. And every one of these letters has a promise. He says, I promise If The promises are conditional on us doing something. To respond to that, I know, I care, I promise, Lord, that's what I want. And for those people who will respond, there's a wonderful promise. Now, let's look very briefly then to one of the three that we're going to tackle this morning very briefly. Uh, Before we do, having looked at these three phrases, I want to just remind us of something else the Lord says, in every one of the letters, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. He who has an ear, let him hear. What a silly thing to say. He who has an ear, let him hear. Not silly at all. In fact, it's so profound that he says it at least seven times, once in each letter you have an ear? Is it possible to have an ear and not to listen? Of course it is. I, the good Lord knows, am as guilty of that as anyone. I have two ears. If I were to cover either of them and you were to speak, I'd probably have a fair chance of hearing what you're saying. They're good ears. I thank the Lord for my hearing. But the Lord knows that very often I'm not listening. There's a big difference. That's what is implied here. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. What? What the Spirit is saying to the church. Is the Spirit speaking speaking to the church today? I believe he is. Are you listening? Ask. Oh. That's our title for this morning. Two letters, R-U, in keeping with this brilliant program of the weekend, are you connected? The question today, the question from the Holy Spirit through these churches, are you listening? Ephesus, the first letter written by Jesus, the first church addressed, uh, Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 to 7, we will not read it now, but I I just want to highlight on one or two of the uh, things included in this. Here... Is a church, and of course, Jesus addresses them by saying, I know, I know. No surprise about that, is there? I know. And if we were to read it, you'd see there's a catalogue of a, a tremendous list of excellent things. I know your work, your endurance, your patience, many things like that. You'd think, this is a winning church. Yes, it is. Many credentials. But, Jesus says, well, here it is verse 4 of chapter 2 yet I hold this against you you have forsaken your first love you have forsaken your first love and he goes on to say that this requires repentance this is something serious in other words love should be the foundation of every church we well know if the foundations of this church were undermined for some reason the church would be deemed unstable and unsafe What should be the spiritual foundation of every church, body of God's people, if it's not love? Love for Jesus, and so on. Let's go back quickly and see what uh, Ephesians has to tell us. Ephesians, a great and important city in Paul's time, was visited by Paul and others, and Paul stayed there approximately three years teaching and training and preaching and fellowshipping with them. What an uh, amazing privilege the Church of Ephesus had. Imagine having the Apostle Paul for three years in your city. Mm. Fantastic. We had George Verwer yesterday here. I wouldn't have missed it. How about the Apostle Paul? And he was there for three years uh, working in various ways and uh, we read that they loved him and on the last occasion he said to them, I see in the Spirit the Spirit is telling me that this is my last visit, you will not see my face again we read there in Acts chapter 19, I think it is, they all wept over Paul they couldn't bear the thought of not seeing Paul again and they wept, loved And they were famous for their love. Listen to a verse that Paul writes concerning them in his letter he, to them. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. They were famous for their love. Interesting. But, later in that same epistle, Paul is guided by the Holy Spirit to say something silly or extraordinary or un- unnecessary. He has just said, your love for all the saints, it's known, I know about it, in distant Rome and wherever else he was. He knew about it, yet he said these words, I pray that you will be rooted and established in love. An unnecessary thing to add there, Paul. Why bother? Get on with something. Oh, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit knew that though they had love for God and love for the people of God, that love was not yet Grounded and rooted firmly. Foundation. That's what it's all about. And so here, sadly, years later, same church, same city, Jesus says, I have this against you. You have forsaken. You have abandoned. You have drifted away from your first love." And you know the church that Christine and I worked Uh, with out there in Madagascar where we've worked in various countries but since 1980 we've been principally working in uh, the great island of Madagascar, no time to tell you about that until this evening. Come this evening and uh, we'll be amongst those I trust who will be able to share something more of the work the Lord is doing uh, in various countries and our responsibility, our privilege is to share with you about the work the Lord is doing in Madagascar. More about that then this evening when you come along. But uh, sadly, many churches in Madagascar, I believe the Lord could easily say of many of them, yes, your program is good, you're this, that, and the other, just like the Ephesians, but you have drifted away from your first love. How is it evident? How can it be evident? Obviously it's evident to the Lord, He knows everything. How is it evident to us that we can see the signs or listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Is it applicable here? I just want to touch on one or two things. I believe it is a mirror image of our love spouse for spouse. Are you married? Isn't that sad? perhaps more sad today than in previous generations, but so many Christian marriages one spouse could say of the other you drifted from that first love how sad does it apply to some of us here this morning? have you drifted in that area of love? I believe that grieves the Lord You've heard of married couples where the the husband, for example, uh, is diligent to bring flowers to the wife. Christine's saying yes, preach it, brother. Very rarely do I think of bringing flowers to the wife. Forgive, but uh, uh, it 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 can be it can be an empty sign of love, can't it? Oh, I'd better buy those flowers, but yeah, those will do, right? No, it's much more than that, isn't it? Well, I, re- I wear the ring, don't I? I mean, what's wrong with that? That's the sign? No, it's much more than that. It's that love, communication at that deep level. One thing that Christine and I have done for years, we did it this morning, even though we were battling to find our way to Charlotte Chapel through the streets of Edinburgh. Um, we, we spent part of the time this morning driving and praying together. And we've done this for years, I suppose, all our married life. As we drive, we pray. Okay, don't get all excited, the driver is permitted to drive with his eyes open. Incidentally, when Jesus prayed, and others in the Bible, do you know what they did? They lifted their eyes to heaven. Well, that's not allowed either in the car, Uh, the driver is firmly in control of the car and observing the road but you can also pray because you can just as easily talk to someone in the car about a a number of subjects, can't you? How about talking to Jesus together? We've had some extraordinary times of prayer, valuable times of prayer as we have driven in roads in Britain and all over many other countries. I share that with you. But what are we talking about? We're talking about love of spouse for spouse. That is one evidence of it. Can you pray together? Not only in the car, but have you times when you pray together, locked in each other's arms, so to speak, sharing each other's burdens, and you can say to yourself deep within, I know and I care. We must hurry on. Yes, the church in Madagascar, in many ways, I think, has drifted from that first love and many of the things they do are as a force of habit etc, etc is the spirit saying something to the church in Edinburgh today is the spirit saying something to you as a member of a marriage partnership or as a family or as part of this church I'd like to digress, no, not digress, but pause a moment here and just reflect. And my heart says in prayer to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I love you. Please help my love for you and for others to grow. Is that the wish and the desire of your heart? We move on from what might be called the backsliding church to. Philadelphia, the one that was read so beautifully for us, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13, and if the previous church could be described as the backsliding church, because that's what it was, they were backsliding away, sliding backwards away from that foundational position of love that motivated everything they did, love for Jesus. They would backslidden from that position, they drifted from their first love. I suggest the second church we're going to look at very briefly is the forward-facing church. Ah, that sounds promising, doesn't it? Here, Jesus describes himself, and incidentally, Jesus doesn't describe himself in the same way twice. Every church has a a, a particular thumbprint of Jesus. Look at it here. Well, let's read it. Uh, 3 verse 7b. These are the words of Him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, Uh, and what he shuts, no one can open. What what an introduction! This is Jesus, the one who holds the key to every situation. The forward-facing church, he's addressing that church now. He's the one who's in charge of the doors. And see, in verse 8 he says, See, I have placed before you an open door. it is, that no one can shut. I know. This incident is the second I know to this church. But here it is, I know you have little strength. You see, the moment... The Lord says something about a challenge to us. I bet you're very like I am. You begin to shrink back and say, now wait a minute, Lord. I mean, George, who was here last night here? George Verver? You'd sort of think, Lord, if George is telling the truth, I am amazed you picked him for anything. He's poor material, that. And I look at my own life and I sort of think there's a parallel here too. Very poor material. And he says here to the the uh, Philadelphian church, he says, I know you have little strength, I know it. Here is a church that is honest and says, Lord, I have little strength, what can I do? And he says, I know. Listen, I'm placing before you an open door and no one can shut it. I think the inference here is he has a plan for you because you know you have little strength. You're an honest person, you're not strutting around Figuring that you've got it all just not... You're saying, Lord, you and I know that I have little strength. And Jesus says, yes, I do know that. Now listen. I'm placing before you, with little strength, an open door. Go for it. And the inference here is, and if we looked on later in Revelation, we'd see it plain written. An open door. And Jesus is saying, not go... He's saying, come. In other words, Jesus is beckoning us into an open door with him, into his presence in a deeper way. Does that thrill you? Does that pull you onwards and into that open door? I hope so. I'd like to suggest it could be a door of relief. Have you seen, have you heard in the past week references to people who are bound who are not released. They are in a prison due to various addictions or what have you, and it can lead to amazingly dreadful acts. Yes, all too recently and perhaps all too locally too. The Lord is telling us today of a door of release. Is there anyone here who feels weak have little strength because you know and perhaps you think nobody else in this room knows. I have so little strength. I keep falling in a certain area. Again, George Verwa, giant that he is, referred at least four times to something like that in his own experience. You're in good company, my friend. You're lamenting your weakness. The Lord says to you, I know and the Lord says, come, not go, but come, isn't there all the difference in the world? You might say, well what about the Great Commission? Go into all the world and preach the Gospel, ah yes, but the last verse said, and listen, I am with you to the very end, isn't that the same as, come, let's go, together, that's makes the Great Commission possible. And Christine and I stand here today to testify to that. Little strength, yes, dreadfully little. But when holding the hand of this person, we have what it takes. Amazing. You have little strength? Go. Go into a new relief. And the Lord is challenging someone here this morning, To go through with him at his bidding into a new area of release and power and victory in your life. He who has an ear, let him hear. A door of release and freedom. A door of worship and relationship. You ever find it difficult to worship the Lord? I wonder if he's calling you forward into a new door, into a new arena of worship and relationship to Him so that unlike the church in the Ephesians, you have that relationship that is based and rooted and founded in love for Jesus and you'll do anything for Him. Why? Because He did more than that. Infinitely more than that. For you and me. A door of freedom A door of worship, a door of service. And here we are, right into the focal point of this great weekend here in Charlotte Chapel. A door of opportunity and service. I know your deeds, he says. You've endured patiently. I'm placing before you an open door. He's inviting you and us as a church as a fellowship, into new areas of service, service and opportunity. We don't have time to go into some of those areas of service and opportunity, but I want to just share two very, very briefly. One, I was uh, encouraged this morning, David, by the the fact that we could hardly get into that prayer room this morning. We were sitting sort of huddled up like this and uh, it was great. I wish I could be in more prayer meetings where there were some standing. Marvellous. Keep it up. I wonder if that's the case with all of the prayer meetings in this church. I hope so. I didn't ask. I hope so. I hope you are a committed attender of some prayer meeting in this church or more than one. Nothing could be more important. It is there that you learn to put your roots down in love for Jesus. You will spend time to you. The prayer meeting is probably the most important part of the whole fellowship. You're right, but too often we think it is the least important. My friends, is the Holy Spirit saying something to the church this morning? I, I hope this church is different from some of the ones I visit where the prayer meeting can be very weak. You go, you go eagerly, you go to take part and to pray and to intercede on behalf of the church. I hope so. Yes, a door of service and opportunity in the place of prayer. And one last glimpse of a new opportunity. Tempted to share one or two others, but let's suffice with this. See the workplace in a new light. Now, you might say, what do you, Colin, know about the workplace? You've been a missionary since your young years. And I confess, yes, I've not had the opportunity to work for money and an employer for very long. But I did study and work for five years, uh, etc. Am I uh, eligible to talk to you who've worked in this way for 30, 40 years? I don't know. But may, may I share this from the Holy Spirit? I believe there is great value in seeing the workplace as his harvest field. Speaking to one lady not so long ago who who, who just said more or less that, she sees the workplace as an opportunity to live for Jesus. That's love, isn't it? That's service, isn't it? and she looks for opportunities to just befriend people and show them that Jesus is the light of the world. She prays for them, when when she has the opportunity she invites them to something low-key, perhaps not in a church but in some other thing where they might just, if they're not careful they might hear something about the love of Jesus for them. Or perhaps looking for the opportunity when she can invite that friend from the office to their home for a cup of tea, and gradually befriend, etc. See the place of work as His harvest field. Begin praying. Identify one person in your place of work. Identify one person uh, prayerfully. Lord, who do you have on your heart in my place of work? Will you put that person more and more on my heart? so that my wife and I, or whatever the situation is, we can pray for this individual in a non-stop way and begin to see the harvest taking place. I want to stop for a moment and say, Lord Jesus, I want to go forward through the door that you have opened for me. Is that your prayer? And thirdly, if the first church was the backslidden or backsliding church the, the second the forward facing church I'd like to suggest that the third and final one the inward looking church the inward looking church not a good position to be in Paul wrote a lot about this uh, I, I just just say to you this is not a good position to be in if we were to read this uh, uh, final seventh letter of Jesus to the churches the one to the Laodiceans 14 to 21 we would see there's almost nothing positive here has the Lord written them off oh no 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 not at all but he's grieved he's saddened by the fact that there's very little that he can really commend here with the Laodicean church listen or read with me how the Lord announces Himself on this occasion, it's absolutely marvellous and I never really noticed this until I was studying it more recently Isn't that amazing about the Bible? You come across that have you? You can read and you think you study some part of the scripture down through the years and then perhaps the Holy Spirit says you need to get back to that passage Oh, now, I could almost memorise, I could almost recite that whole passage And the Lord challenges uh, you and says, uh, go ahead and read it, study it. And you see something new and you sort of think, I don't believe I've seen that before in so many years. Does that come to you? How often it comes to me? Why? It's because A, the Holy Spirit is alive. B, the Word of God is living and active and able to speak to your heart today in a new and appropriate way. Now listen to this. Jesus addressing himself. It is absolutely majestic. Verse 14b. These are the words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness, listen, the ruler of God's creation. You cannot get higher than that. And so in Philippians, that amazing verse Jesus described by Paul in those immortal words. Therefore, God has exalted him after the death and the resurrection of Jesus to the highest place in heaven to the name which is above every name marvellous, isn't it? here's a similar sort of picture the ruler of God's creation there is no one higher than Jesus and my heart wants to add hallelujah hallelujah that loud of course it is hallelujah I worship you Lord Jesus Christ ruler of God's creation and it's to that it's that person who is addressing this particular church in Laodicea 15 I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot and so on a a category a list of very Uh, negative things about that church oh I do believe the Lord is not addressing that message to this church you might say well why has the preacher been asked by the Lord to choose this as his third and final point there are several reasons if I were to ask anyone here know a verse in Revelation off by heart I think it was George Verwer last night, or somebody last night. I think he said, uh, "We're not we're not memorising scripture anymore." I think that's sad. I think it's largely true. We're not memorising scripture anymore. Uh, do you know a verse in Revelation? I wonder how many would say, hey, "Yes." Isn't it in Revelation that verse, something about, "Behold, I stand." Nothing here that really resounds at the door and knock. Do you know that verse? Did you know that it comes in this passage which is full of negatives about a sleeping, backslidden, inward-looking church and the most wonderful and best-known verse in the whole of Revelation. It's so well known, I I, I, I just share with you that this is one of the handful of verses I've struggled to memorize in Malagasy, Uh, because it is such an important verse, it's crucial, it's vital. That was right, wasn't it? in English it's much the same listen see look I'm standing at the door and knocking no much more than that if anyone hears my voice it's much more than a knock there's a voice and in uh, parts of Africa, where some of us have lived for so long, uh, you don't just knock, do you? That—that that is not. David shaking his head. That's not. That's not polite. You don't just knock. In in East Africa, you say something like "hodi, hodi." In Malagasy, it's similar. There's some similarities, not many. In Malagasy, another "hodi ni There's a voice. With Jesus, it's much more than that. Jesus says, in John chapter 10, that when he calls, he calls by name. Cynthia, Jonathan, it's me, Jesus. Is anyone here this morning with Jesus outside of your door? It's just possible that there are some people here who who don't really know what I've been talking about. You don't really know this living Christ, Jesus, who died and who rose again and who is now the ruler of God's creation. You don't really know him in a personal way. I wonder, no, I believe that he is standing very close to you now, and saying your name, He wants to come in. Who wants to come in? Let me tell you, the ruler of God's creation, the one who died on that cross, out of love for sinners like you and me. It's He who is standing and calling your name. Can anything be more wonderful? My dear friends, if on this Mission Emphasis Weekend you were to open the door and release everything and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Like George Bower, I feel very... (laughs) Or like the other church, Lord, I have very little strength. Perhaps because of that, Lord, I need you all the more. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come in today... Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Is that the cry of some heart this day? It could be the most wonderful day of your life so far. I dare say it will be the most wonderful day of your life so far. If today for the first time you open the door of your life and welcome Jesus, who not only is the ruler of God's creation. That makes me tremble. But he's also the Saviour who died for sinners. That makes me want to open the door ever wider. But, this isn't only written to people who don't really know the Saviour in their lives and need to open the door to welcome him in for the first time. No, this is written to a church the church in Laodicea a church that has been uh, uh, active and alive for many, many years but they have lost it they become inward looking rather than looking to Jesus the ruler of God's creation my friends this knocking is at the door of someone who has become lukewarm in their faith a little bit similar to the message to the Ephesian church you Lost that love for Jesus that you once had. It's written to you as well. And so we come to this automatic back to the very center. What we were talking about right at the beginning. Do you hear my voice? Are you listening? My dear friends, do you have an ear? Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. This could be, for some of you who need to accept Jesus for the first time into your lives, a wonderful day. This could be a wonderful day for someone who opens another department of his life, her life, to Jesus. Are there areas of your life over which you do not have control, over which Jesus is not invited? Open that door. In every house, there are many doors, there are many rooms. I remember visiting someone in North Africa, uh, in northern Kenya uh, many years ago and I, I arrived without uh, being able to tell him, there were no phones, there was no email in those days, quite a long time ago. I arrived and I said, oh hi, I've come. And he said, yeah, I see that. And uh, I said, man, uh, it's pretty late in the day, do you mind if I sort of... Uh, <laughs> stop around uh, for tonight, and then I, I, uh, oh man, come on in, great, wonderful. (coughs) And (coughs) being a bachelor, um, I better not say too much here, but um, he opened the one door and he said, oh my, said, what filth, there was dust everywhere, northern Kenya, lots of dust and sand everywhere, and he said, oh I am ashamed, I wasn't expecting you, I said, no, I know, listen, got a broom, let's clean it together. He opened the door and together we cleaned the room. My dear friends, as I close, I wonder if that's what Jesus is doing, arriving perhaps unexpected at your door today and saying, hi, I've come. Uh, Oh yes, come on in Lord. But the moment he comes in, we become aware of things that we're ashamed of. That goes back as far as the Garden of Eden. And if you're ashamed of something, don't cover it up. Do you know what he's saying to you? He's saying, you've got a broom, you've got a dustpan, let's work on it together. And so we close. Jesus to the churches. Jesus to the church. Jesus to members of the church, you and me. He says, I know, I know, I care, and I promise beloved let's go forward a word of prayer